For our first message today, we have a split sermon from Mr. Curtis Whiteley entitled Wisdom from Above. Mr. Whiteley. Thank you, Reggie. Well, good afternoon. It's wonderful to see everyone here uh, again this week. Obviously, uh, uh, a lot of things that transpired here in our state of Oklahoma uh, that we've been all the way on? Okay, sorry, some technical difficulties here. I thought I had it all the way. Are we good? I'll start over. Good afternoon. It's wonderful to see everyone here today uh, on another beautiful Sabbath. Uh, when I, what I was just mentioning was, uh, obviously, our, our week has um, brought tragedies upon us here in our own state, the state that many of us obviously grew up in uh, with the tornadoes that took place in Moore, Oklahoma. And even though this was a great tragedy, one thing I think many of us would agree with was just the absolute amazement at the way people came together, the way people uh, came together to, to help each other out, uh, the, the love that has been poured from all over the country, uh, and not just here in Oklahoma. Uh, but it's just something that all of us, like was mentioned in our prayers, it's something that needs to continue to be in our prayers and and, and if we can give, we need to, to, to give to the cause of what's taking place there. And all, I think somewhere the estimate was around 13,000 structures or homes uh, were pretty much put out. So that's pretty sobering to think about. And that's only two, two hours away from us. Well, the title of my message today is The Wisdom from Above. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about this word wisdom. And this, it's, it's more of an idea than it is just a, a term or, or, or a definition. If you were to look at, like I did on the way here, because I was just curious, if you were to look at the word wisdom, say maybe on your smartphone like I did, maybe you have an app that's a dictionary, you would, you would get a definition that says something like the quality or state of being wise, knowledge of what is true or right, coupled with just judgment as to action, sagacity, discernment, or insight. You know, the MacArthur Study Bible, something I was reading this morning, had an interesting take on wisdom, especially as it related to the Old Testament. And that word, as we're going to go to here in just a minute in Proverbs. To the Hebrew mind, MacArthur says, wisdom was not knowledge alone, but the skill of living a godly life as God intended man to live. If you could turn with me to Proverbs, the first chapter, and we're going to pick it up here, and we're going to look at something that Proverbs has to say. We're going to look at something, because Proverbs, we all know this, we've read the Proverbs, we've read uh, what is known as the wisdom literature of the Bible, but in Proverbs, the first chapter, Proverbs, the first chapter, and verse 1, we have an interesting introduction to what the book's purpose is. It says in verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel, to understand a proverb and an enigma. The words of the wise are their riddles. But verse 7 tells us what the key is. Verse 7 
tells us what everything hinges upon and really trying to come to understand what true wisdom is. Verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know, this is one of my most favorite passages in the entire Bible. Because I think in this passage right here, you could almost use this and just look at everyday life in our society and say, you know what? This one passage, when we read what it has to say and what it means, and we look at the world, we can almost say, that's kind of proof of the divineness of this book. It's so true. We see it every day. We see the wisdom of this world, and we see how it's rejected by so many that live in this world. Now, this word fear, you know, I, I've heard it said one time, someone say it was a negative thing to be fearful of God. You know, in our language, we use the word fear usually in the, in, in the sense of, of being scared of something. But that's not really what this is saying. But rather, it is a state of mind of all reverence towards God, toward His Word. It's exchanging our wills, our ways of thinking, our attitudes for God's goals and His wills and His attitudes. So this is just kind of an example of what the Bible has to say about wisdom. And an interesting example takes place in the Gospels. It takes place in John chapter 7, if you would turn with me. Because we're going to look today, which is our primary story, we're going to look today at something that Jesus, an, an, an example of Him showing the knowledge and the wisdom and, and the source in which He got this knowledge and wisdom from. In John the 7th chapter, just to give us some context of what's going on, Jesus has just instructed His disciples to go up to Jerusalem to keep the feasts. You know, many of us have read this before. We know we will see Jesus. He'll come in and, and He'll even say things on the last day of the feast. But Jesus Himself decided to stay in Galilee rather than going up to Jerusalem right away. And in verse 10 of John 7, Jesus picks it up and says, But when His brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said, He is good. Others, No. On the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Verse 14 says, Now, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, how does this man know letters, having never studied? Now, right here, we are reading, as I mentioned, a, a, a familiar part of the Scriptures for many of us. Uh, we see Jesus eventually did go up to the feast, and, and like it was common to do for people in this day, he stood up and he started to teach in the temple. Now, there are several observations we can make about this. Several things that we can see that Jesus did that amazed his contemporaries, especially the religious leaders of his day. The first thing that amazed the people was Jesus' absolute boldness and courage. I mean, think about it. Jesus was privy to what the Jewish leaders had in store for him. He knew that they were waiting to capture him, to try to arrest him. Jesus knew that they were seeking to not just arrest him, but to kill him. As the scriptures say right here, some believe that Jesus 
were, was someone who was doing nothing but deceiving the people. And according, which later tradition tells us, according to the Talmud, deceiving the people was a crime that could be punishable by stoning. So this was something very serious. And people were amazed to see Jesus coming into the temple in boldness and teaching. The second thing that people were amazed about was Jesus' lack of formal education. Verse 15 says, How does this man know letters, having never studied? And obviously what that means is, is that he had never been through any of the traditional Jewish educational or training systems. He wasn't a Pharisee, he wasn't a Sadducee, or he wasn't a member of any other religious sect of his day that constituted a formal training. But rather, this was something that was amazing to people because he possessed such knowledge and wisdom on the scriptures, even though he had never become or been ran through the ranks of what all people in his day considered the ones who to be authorities on the scripture. The third thing that amazed people was his use of his source. Now, there's some background here that we have to understand, and we see it come out in the Gospels a little bit, but the Jews were literally astonished and amazed that someone like Jesus, this guy, came in and he spoke on his own authority. You see, this wasn't something that was common. Usually what would happen is, is someone would stand up and they would preach or they would teach, and they would always cite some sort of religious figure or, or text, or they would refer to some prominent rabbi or, or teaching figure that was maybe common in their day. But Jesus didn't do this. And in fact, we can even see this take place in other parts of the scriptures where they actually were amazed at Jesus. And, and afterwards, they would say things. You can look at the Sermon on the Mount as an example of right afterwards. They're amazed because he doesn't speak like the other scribes or the other lawyers or the other Pharisees or other religious leaders. But he speaks on his own authority, something that's very different that people were used to. And these are three things that Jesus astonished the people with. But he did have a source for his wisdom. And if we read on, we will see what that source was. Reading on in John chapter 7, verse 16, it says, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but he who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak of my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. And no unrighteousness is in him. And here we see that Jesus affirms that his wisdom, his knowledge and teaching doesn't come from a religious leader, doesn't come from a rabbi, doesn't come from some sort of traditional school of thought, but rather it comes straight from heaven above, straight from his Father. And believe it or not, this is something that struck the people to think that he was absolutely nuts. I mean, think about it today. Let's just imagine it. Someone gets up and says that I have been called by God to tell you this, or told by God to tell you this. And we see this take place, especially in terms of doctrine. We, we see false prophets arise saying that uh, you know, they've been commissioned to God to, uh, to, to do a certain work. And most of the time, we even in the church will look at them a little funny. You know, it's not the way we're used to people coming and approaching us. But a lot of times, this is justified. A lot of times, we see people do this, and then, obviously, there's some sort of uh, 
revealing of their fruit, and, and we see that they're doing it for self-gain, they're doing it uh, by you know, maybe misinterpreting the scriptures and things of that nature. But we can just imagine people in Jesus' day, when they first initially heard Jesus saying that he was doing things on his own authority, on the authority that he was commissioned by God, that they might have looked at him a little strange. But the difference is, is this. You see, he hadn't just been around for a day or two, but he had been around for a little while. And his works proved the authentic, the, you know, the genuineness of what his words said. As I've mentioned, verse 16 and 17 says, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it's from God or whether I speak on my own authority. And Jesus right here is saying, why are you judging me without actually genuinely evaluating my message and my works and what I've come to do? You know, Jesus had healed people. He had... He had uh, brought many miracles in the face of people. He had correctly, obviously, uh, corrected twisted interpretations about the Scripture. But instead of saying, yes, you're right, you must be from God, you must get this from our Heavenly Father, they attributed to his, his power to demons. They attributed the, His fruit to the work of demons, not to the work of God working through him. And he produced these fruits genuinely, as we know, through and only because he relied on his source, which was God. It's interesting, we're going to see this here in a minute. It's interesting that Jesus says that, you know, the person who comes on their own authority, they glorify themselves because they're leaning on their own understanding. They're not leaning on the understanding of God. We're going to see why that is the case. So from this story, I, I want to ask the question, what are some points we could take from this story? You know, we're thinking about wisdom, and we're thinking about this occasion of Jesus, where you know, Jesus obviously comes into a, into a world that has a set social, you know, I guess you would say, mores or social ways of doing things. You know, people had set methods, the way you would approach certain subjects or certain areas. And we want to ask the question, but what are the universal truths behind this? What are some of the things that we can glean from this to help us live our life better and to be more glorifying to God? And in fact, be more, I guess you would say, sensitive to the wisdom that God offers all of us. Well, the first point I came up with is that, real simple, it's just an observation. The world is saturated with carnal and false wisdom, even in religious circles. This is interesting. Even in religious circles. Today, we can see this in all different subjects, all different arenas. You know, we see it in politics, we see it in academics, and of course we see it in religion. And a lot of this false wisdom, if we really evaluate it, it comes from pride. It comes from people believing and having a lot of confidence in themselves. And it also comes from people trying to please others to gain notoriety, to gain popularity. So we see this in politics, we see this in, in the academy or academics, we see this in religion. And we live in an age literally where science, philosophy, humanism, those ideas, they're like becoming a religion. They're becoming a way of life, a people that prescribe the way they come to all truth. Now, Paul dealt with some of the same issues. If we were to look at 
1 Corinthians, which we're getting ready to turn there, if you want to turn there right now. But just looking at the context, there's so many different issues going on that Paul was dealing with. But one of the issues that Paul was dealing with was he was having to address some of the issues that was about wisdom. Some of the issues that the congregation was facing about who they claimed they were following. You know, some claimed that they were following Paul. Some claimed that they were following Apollos or or some claim that they were following someone else. And it almost seems that they were claiming the one they were following based upon the world's reasonings. Whoever sounded the most clever, whoever's the one that sounded the wisest, they were using the world's standards to decide on who was the one that came with truth. They were using the world's wisdom, the world's knowledge, like the world does. But Paul goes on to correct them. We're going to see this here in a few minutes. And we see that as Christians, and we know this, this is something that's true and something that we've understood from our baptism, that it is the Holy Spirit that brings us to the knowledge of God. You know, 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, verse 10, says this. If you want to turn there. It says, But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. This thing's the things of God, the wisdom of God, the truth of God. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God, for what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of a man, which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And this is something that we know. This is something that we understand. That it's not of ourselves, but it is of God. That that spirit comes into us. And gives us the ability to understand the scriptures. To understand the wisdom that comes from above. The second point I want to bring out today. Is that we must be willing to accept God's wisdom and will. You know a lot of the thing that's interesting is that a lot of the people. That were you know in Jesus' day. Especially the religious leaders. They didn't want to accept the will of God. They, they rather accept and hold on to their traditional interpretations of the scriptures, to their traditional human traditions, to their traditional ways of doing things, rather than trying to truly seek out what the will of God was. And we have to ask ourselves that. Do, do, we, do we ever fall into that? And that's not something that's just, you know, that's how they were back then, and this is how we are today. But rather, we have to come into God's mind on our own will. We have to be willing to give up and exchange. It's what that, the fear of the Lord is all about. Exchanging our goals, our ideas about things for God's ideas. And being open. No matter what pet peeve or pet doctrine we might want to hold on to. If it's proven by the scriptures. And if you are allowing God to guide you. If it comes to be proven untrue. Then we have to be willing to accept that. We, today, are not immune to this. This is something even us, as Christians with the Holy Spirit, still 
must look at and fight against. The last point I want to make on this is that those who speak on their own authority glorify themselves and not God. And I just mentioned that just a few minutes ago. Jesus tells us that he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. And we must ask, the, you know, what are some of the reasons that people rather use their own authority than use the authority of God? Well, number one, we just mentioned it earlier, pride. You know, people trust their own wisdom, their own knowledge, wanting maybe notoriety for themselves. But another reason, and this can be even true, I believe, in religious circles. You know, you might listen to ministers speak, uh, people who speak from the pulpit. Especially in today's world, you see that they, they do things that are almost people-pleasing things. You know, they do things as if they were a business and they were trying to reach a consumer. That they were a business and they're trying to satisfy the, you know, current tastes of the day. And when they do that, they are actually basically saying that they're not confident in the Word of God itself. That they are not confident that the Word, that the Scriptures are sufficient, that they have to add a little bit, that they have to kind of help God, that the, the scriptures are not all powerful like they say they are. But notice Jesus' example. He didn't need any of this. He didn't need to add to his teaching some lofty words that may sound good to the ears of his listeners. He did not seek to refer to tradition to gain support from the religious leaders. And it was not a popular thing. Obviously, we see that Jesus ultimately will be crucified because of this. It wasn't popular to just go out on the limb and say, no, I'm choosing God's authority. It might not be in line with this world. Well, obviously, we know it's not. I mean, just imagine, how unpopular would you be if you got on world TV today and you said something and you referenced the Bible? And it might just be something relatively small. If you did that, there's no doubt that you would have a lot of people ridiculing you for actually referring to the Bible. It may be political ridicule. It may be uh, because you know, they believe that you shouldn't use religion on TV. But nevertheless, there is an obvious pervasive attitude that exists in our world that cannot stand the reference to anything about the Bible, about Jesus Christ, or about God. And this reminds me and brings me to one of my last texts here. 1 Corinthians, the verse 26. We're going to go back to Corinthians. We're actually going to read something before the previous scripture. But 1 Corinthians, verse 26, chapter 1, that is. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in His presence, but of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory 
in the Lord. It's a very powerful text, a very powerful scripture. Everything we do, we must be seeking to glorify God. It can't be because we're trying to elevate ourselves. Obviously, we know what the scriptures has to say about that. And when we use God as our authority rather than ourselves, or rather trying to add interesting words or, or, or twist words, we are actually doing nothing but glorifying ourselves. So in closing, I would like to encourage all of us to seek the wisdom of God. And one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible, you've had two of them today, Proverbs 1.7 and now James, the first chapter, verse 5. And it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. You know, our Heavenly Father wishes to share His grand will with us. You know, we, we know that the holy days, what they've, what they've done, they, they help picture God's plan of, of redemption and salvation to us and His church. But He also wants to reveal His will, not just on the overall things, but even on the small things, even on the individual level. God wants us to seek Him with an open heart, and with a genuine and true heart to seek His will in all the different decisions. Maybe it's the decision that you as an individual, individual have to make with your family or at your job uh, or, or, or you know, maybe just you as yourself. Maybe you're young and, and you're a student getting ready to go to college as we just had some graduates and you're trying to decide you know, on that new venture you're getting ready to take. You know, it's not just these huge, you know, complex things that God wants us to come to him with, but he wants us to come to him with everything. Everything he wants to be brought to the feet of Jesus. That's what we have to remember. But we have to have a heart both bent on God's will and seeking not to glorify ourselves, but rather him. When we have the proper attitude that Jesus tells us, we have access to the wisdom that comes from above, from the wisdom from heaven.